0: We are continuing our series, God of the Underdogs, we're looking at different underdogs from the Bible, and when it comes to sports, I love the underdog. I like cheering for the underdog, except for when they are facing one of my teams. If they are facing one of my teams, I'm like, "Mm, sorry for you, I hope you lose, don't score any points, Uh, and that's... Uh, came to pass yesterday as I was cheering for the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Yeah, that didn't work out so well. So uh, I know some of you diehards are like, that's why they lost. Pastor Chris was cheering for them. Please don't cheer for them again, and I'll, I'll, I'll back up. But uh, I love watching the underdogs in sports and cheering for them, and especially in boxing. In boxing, I love cheering for the underdog, and that's why one of my favorite movies, it, it's a fictional movie, but one of my favorite movies is Rocky I mean, he's pretty much an underdog in every uh, movie that he's in, but I feel like this one, he was the the biggest underdog, as he had to fly to Russia, he's like training in a cabin in the freezing cold, and he has to box this Russian Ivan Drago, okay? And and when they, they get in the ring, I mean, it's like five foot something rocky standing up and looking up to this like seven foot something uh ivan drago you know and this guy just looks indestructible you know and he even looks down on rocky and he's like i must break you you know so i mean not only is his size intimidating but his voice is intimidating you know when and so Rocky goes back to his corner, and the bell rings, ding, ding, ding. And I mean, Rocky's just getting trashed. I mean, he's getting knocked out here, there. I mean, he can't even get close to the Russian. He's he just—he's he beating the mess out of him. But out of nowhere, Rocky has this one punch, like boom, and he cuts the Russian. And the Russian's bleeding, and all of a sudden, the the the, the, the emotional music starts coming in. Dun, 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 dun. You know, you start hearing that, and they're like, say Hey, human. And all of a sudden, Rocky's like, boom, boom, and he's punching him. You know what I mean? When I was a little kid, I used to watch this. I would jump up off the couch. I'd like, boom, 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 boom. You know, I'm fighting with Rocky. Look, I'm not even going to front. As an adult, man, I jump off the couch, I'm like, boom, boom, boom. Come on, come on, Rocky, boom, boom. You know, punching with him. Last round, last punch, boom, you know and knocks the Russian down and he's like, yo Adrian you know, I'm like, yeah and Rocky wins look, if a Rocky movie doesn't get you hype you need to check for a pulse okay, just check for a pulse it's awesome, they're they're my favorite movies but one of the things that kills me about Rocky is that he is terrible at blocking he's terrible have you ever noticed a fight He's got his hands down here, and he's, like, leaning in. And so, of course, he's, like, psh, 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 psh. I mean, he just, he's just getting his face beat in. And so what happens in every Rocky movie, because he doesn't block? Nose gets broke. Eye starts swelling shut. You know what I mean? It gets all big and filled with blood. So, you know, towards the end of the fight, he, you know, sits down in the corner, and he's like, Mick, cut me, Mick. Cut me. I can't see So they got to like cut his eye They let the blood out so the swelling goes down so he can finally see. And he's terrible, terrible at blocking. That's how you know these movies are fictional. Because if a real boxer fought the way that Rocky Balboa did, he would not last one round. I'm just telling you, go into a boxing match like this. (laughs) It's over with. Down for the count. You know, I've, I've, I've heard in sports that... You know, that, that a, a good offense is the key to a good defense. However, I think it should go the other way around. That the key to a good offense is a good de- defense. Because it doesn't matter how hard you can punch if the other guy's blocking it, and you're not blocking, and then he catches you with one. It D- doesn't matter. You've got to have a good defense. A good defense leads to a good offense. There was a real boxing match. Back in the day, Muhammad Ali, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, versus George Foreman, want to buy a grill? And uh, this was one of the few times that Muhammad Ali was the underdog. He had been out of boxing for about six or seven years or so. George Foreman was the heavyweight champion, younger, stronger. And so everybody, you know, a lot of guys were predicting that Muhammad Ali was just going to get, he was just going to get destroyed. And so the fight comes and, 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 and when they start fighting, nobody can figure out why Ali, he's like cowering from George Foreman. He keeps going back into the corner and he, he's just covering up the whole fight. And it's kind of weird, because you you used to see Muhammad Ali just come out dancing around. I can't really dance, but he does something like that, you know what I mean? Bing, bing. You know, he's doing his thing, but he's just in the ropes, and he's blocking, and he's and he's blocking, and at first they can't figure it out. But as the fight goes on, fourth round, fifth round, sixth round, they realize, they're like four men's getting tired. And see, Muhammad Ali had a strategy. It's been famously named the rope-a-dope. He did the rope-a-dope. Ali was going into the corner and he was just blocking everything. And so it didn't matter how hard George Foreman was punching. He was wailing on him. I mean, just wailing on him. But Ali was just blocking and the punches weren't really hurting Ali. But Foreman was wearing himself out. Wearing himself out, getting tired and tired. To like the seventh round, all of a sudden, he's kind of got his hands down. And all of a sudden, Ali's like went from rope to, okay, now you're about to be the dope. And he started dancing around, ping, ping, ping. I mean, not a whole lot of punches. The final was like, pink. Foreman down for the count. I'm a bad man, you know what I mean. Afterwards, they're like, Ali, was that your strategy while you're in the quarter? He's like, Of course, that was my strategy. I was blocking him, I was bringing him in. He was tiring himself out. He's like, Y'all counting me out. And, you know, he started doing all this trash talking and stuff. But he won the fight because he had a good defense. His good defense led to his offense, which led to a victory. And the same goes for us spiritually. Anytime we are an underdog, we're trying to overcome odds, conquer a giant, get back on our feet, overcome addictions, or have a spiritual breakthrough. During that journey, we're going to have some punches thrown at us, and we got to have a good defense. we got to block some of those punches. We have to be on guard. As we're trying to overcome things in our life and get a breakthrough, we can't go in with our guard down. We can't go Rocky style, okay? It only works in the movies, all right? If we go Rocky, hands down, chin out, bink, is what's going to happen. We got to do the rope-a-dope. We got to do like Ali. We got to be ready and block all the punches that come our way. And by doing that, that will lead us to victory. See, as an underdog, we will have people, situations... Sometimes our own flaws try to knock us down. And let's not forget the devil that's trying to knock us out for the count. And we have to block some punches. And so today we're going to look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah was an underdog that had a very tall task. And he had to block some punches on the way to get to his victory. To give you some background on Nehemiah, Nehemiah and and, and his people, basically they had just been knocked down. OK, their entire city had been destroyed. They are at the lowest of lows. And I want you to look at the state that Nehemiah is in in Nehemiah chapter one, verse three through four, it says they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah's in a rough spot. He's weeping. He's mourning. He's fasting. He's praying. They are in trouble. Their city, their home, the place that signified God's favor over their life has been destroyed. They have been knocked down and the wrath is counting. One, two. Three, he's counting them out for the count. Seven, eight, nine. But Nehemiah jumps up to his feet. And it says that God put it in his heart to go rebuild their city and go rebuild their walls. And so he goes to the king and he asks the king for permission to go rebuild the city. The king gives him permission. So he goes to his people and he says, we're going to go rebuild these walls. It's a tall task. They're going to have to overcome some impossible uh, odds. Again, just trying to rebuild the city, they're an underdog. But on top of that, they face some punches during that journey. Some punches are thrown their way, and they have to learn to be on guard. They have to learn to block those punches. They have to learn to have a good defense. And it's the same for us. As we start to honor God, overcome odds, we're going to face a fight. We're going to face adversity, and we're going to have to be on guard. We're going to have to have a good defense. We're going to have to block some punches. Now, before I talk about the punches that we need to block, I do want to point out, this is so important, God has already paved the way for our victory. You need to know God has already mapped out the path for your victory. He has made the way through Jesus' son, Jesus, his son that died on a cross. The victory is there. We just got to stay focused on him, follow him, and block some punches along the way, which will help us do that as well. But the victory is there. He's going to get us to the other side of that mountain through the valley. We just got to follow and block some punches. And so I want to share with you Three punches to block. Three punches to block when you're an underdog, when you're trying to overcome odds, when you're looking for a breakthrough. The first punch we need to block is ridicule. The first punch we need to block is ridicule. Nehemiah and Israel, they have already been knocked down. And as they get up, three men try to strike a knockout blow. Look at me, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19 through 20. It says, but when Sanballat, the hater, excuse me, the Horonite, (laughs) Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Gesheb, the Arab, heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Basically, these guys, they're trying to get in Nehemiah's head. They're talking trash. They're mocking him and ridiculing him. You know, I mentioned Muhammad Ali the one time he was an underdog, but most of the time Muhammad Ali was not the underdog. He was the favorite, and he was great at trash-talking. Matter of fact, I believe Muhammad Ali, he had most of his opponents defeated before they even got into the ring with all of the trash-talking and mocking and ridiculing that he did. See, here's the deal. Here's what's tough. When we're an underdog, not only do we know we're an underdog, but so does everybody else. When we're in an underdog situation, not only do we know it, But so does everyone else. And haters are going to hate. When it rains, it pours. When you're down, you're going to have people try to kick you. And it's tough. Every underdog is going to get ridiculed, is going to face some ridicule, have some setbacks. People may think we're crazy, may, may doubt us. They may even mock us. You're trying to go back to school? You're 40 years old. You almost lived your entire life. Like You better back up. Forties, the new twenty. Chill out. <laughs> you know what I mean? People just say mean, hateful things. Oh, your kids. Whew. You know, if you raised them better, probably wouldn't be having these issues. Yeah, they're hopeless. It's too late. I, I don't. I don't know what you're gonna do when you take shots below the belt. Your last, your marriage didn't work. Why would the next one work? You know, maybe you should just be single. You really think you can find a godly man? godly woman, I mean, I don't know if anybody's going to want to marry you. And Man, harmful, hurting things, ridicule. People taking jabs and, and punches and ridicule and mocking and going below the belt. You, you went to church? <laughs> Did the church burn down? They let you up in there? Oh, they must not have known. Come on. It's not going to help. It's not going to make no difference. You are who you are and there's mocking and there's ridicule and here we are we're trying to get back on our feet we're trying to do right and it feels like we just hopped into a street fight with Mike Tyson and we're getting punched from all, all these different areas with mocking and ridicule and here's the deal we got to learn to block it we got to learn to block it we got to know what call, God is calling us to we got to move forward and we got to have a good defense block the ridicule don't let negativity get into your head don't let negativity get into your head. We got to pull a spiritual rope a dope. Got to block it, every ridicule. Sh- and we got to block every single one of those punches. And then the way we fight back is we need to speak positively. When you say, you know what, I may be an underdog, but my God says I'm more than a conqueror. I may be in an underdog situation, but it says with God all things are possible. That nothing can separate us from the love of God. If God is for me, who is against me? No weapon formed against me shall prosper. I'm a son and daughter of the King. we got to speak these things over our lives. Some of you, you literally in the morning, you need to look in that mirror. You need to speak positive. You need to block all the negatives. Speak the positive. Give yourselves little sticky notes. Encourage yourself with God's promises and his, and, and, and his word for you. Because it's so powerful. And this is what Nehemiah did. All right, These three guys are ridiculing and they blocked those punches. He spoke God's truth and they pressed on. It says in Nehemiah 4.6, it said, At last the wall was completed to half its height around the city. For the people had worked with enthusiasm. They blocked those punches. They moved on we got to expect and block ridicule. we got to fight back with God's promises. They did that. They kept at it. They were repairing. They were rebuilding the ball. They, They got halfway done, and then another punch was thrown at them. They had another punch they had to block. And so this is the second punch we need to block, and that is doubt. We need to block the punch of doubt. Doubt will knock us out. Doubt will knock us out. Look at Nehemiah 4.10. It says, then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired, and there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. See, as an underdog, we're going to have to face a mental battle, a battle of the mind where doubt can creep in, and we start thinking we can never do what God is leading us and calling us to do. And this is what's happening to these people. Not only that, but they also are hearing threats that their enemies are going to come attack them. So they're already thinking we can't build the wall. Even if we do build the wall, we can't build the wall and fight a war. And so doubt is entering the camp. Doubt is entering their thoughts. I've heard the saying, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Our thoughts, our mind is so powerful that what we start to think is what we start to believe. Which then influences our actions. And so we got to block out the doubt. And this is where these people are. They're starting to think in their mind that they can't, that they can't do this. And they are on the verge of being knocked out. But there is a solution to doubt. Nehemiah, he comes to the rescue. Listen in Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 13 through 14. It says, So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then, as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord, who is great and glorious, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Nehemiah was a great leader. He was also a great cheerleader. He is encouraging them. Doubt has crept in and when doubt is creeping in we all need a Nehemiah in our life. We need somebody we can go to and tell that we're we're, we're dealing with doubt, that we're struggling. We need somebody that we can share that with so that they can encourage us and help us out. And it's biblical to have this support. The Bible says we're supposed to bear each other's burdens. We're supposed to bear each other's burdens. As underdogs, we have to surround ourselves with supportive people. As underdogs, we have to surround ourselves with supportive people. The people we surround ourselves with, they're like elevator buttons. They're either going to take us up or take us down. We need people in our lives that are going to take us up, that are going to encourage us when we're doubting. They're not going to beat us down. They're not going to kick us while we're down. They're going to encourage. They're going to lift up. They're going to remind us that God is able, that all things are possible, and and they're going to be that support that we need. Look, this is the number one reason we all need to be in a small group. If you aren't in a small group, you need to join one. You need to join a community group. Jamie and myself, Jamie's my wife, we love Our community group. And one of the things I love about our community group, it doesn't matter when we meet, but whenever we leave, we always leave encouraged. We always leave encouraged because we're surrounding ourselves with people that lift us up. Sometimes we're encouraged because they literally give us an encouraging word. If we're struggling or going through something, they'll speak something over us. But sometimes, like this last Friday, we had our community group. And it wasn't that somebody spoke something encouraged over our life. We were simply encouraged by our community group members and, some of the, and just what God was doing in their life. We were encouraged by their faith. It was encouraging. It lifted us up just to simply hear that. And if you're missing out, if you're not in a community group, man, I encourage you, come Wednesday night at 7 p.m. It's a great opportunity to get plugged in, and what's going to happen is you're going to get around people that are going to lift you up, not take you down. And so you need to come. you got nothing to lose, again, other than maybe an hour and a half of your time on a Wednesday night, but it is worth it. If you're a student in this room and you don't come to our youth ministry on Wednesday nights, you need to come. You're going to find leaders and and pastors and students that are going to lift you up, not take you down. It's so vital. When we're dealing with doubt, we need Nehemiah's in our life. We need to surround ourselves with supportive, uplifting people. Now, back to Nehemiah. Not only was he a support, not only was he encouraging, but he also he gave them stations and he gave them weapons, and he had every one of his people carry around their weapon just in case the enemies tried to attack. He was prepared. He had their weapon. We have a weapon too. We have a weapon that we can use to fight doubt. That weapon is prayer. Prayer builds our confidence in God. And just like those people carried around all those weapons every day, man, we need to be carrying prayer around. We need to be praying every single day. Look, as underdogs, we need a little MC Hammer. you got to pray just to make it today. Don't make me sing it. I said we pray. Pray! we got to pray. We need, that is our weapon to fight doubt. Look, after I became a Christian, I became a Christian when I was 18 years old. Knew nothing about church or God, just had a radical, life-changing experience with the Lord. And after I gave my life to Him, I mean, man, I was on fire. I I was inviting everybody to church. I was at church as much as I could be. I was there all the time. But a year after being, a year after giving my life to Christ, I started to let doubt creep in my mind. Felt like I didn't have any, uh, enough friends. Felt like I was uh, not making a difference. It's like, is this really worth it? Is this the life I want to live? Is this what I want to be doing? And, and, I, and, and here's the bad thing about doubt, is when doubt creeps in, it, it starts to grow and, and all these different weeds. And then it causes you to start doubting all these other kinds of things. And, and so I was, really, I was ready to quit. I was ready to give up on this Jesus thing. And I remember being at church one day and one of the pastors came up to me and he was like, Chris, you all right? And, of course, I gave him the, the churchy answer, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm good. And he's like, no, something's not right. You don't look right. What's going on? Come on, tell me. I said, well, pastor, I said, you know, honestly, I'm just struggling. just don't feel like I'm making a difference. And, man, I'm having times just feeling lonely. And I don't know. I, I just, I'm struggling. I don't know if, you know, I'm cut out for this. And I, I remember the pastor, he gave me what I like to call like a spiritual kick in the tail. He's like, you need to go pray. I'm like, well, pastor, I do pray. No, no, no. You need to go pray. You need to go get along with God, and you need to spend more time than just, you know, your devotions in the morning. You need to pray until you have a breakthrough. So yeah, he actually sent me to the auditorium. He's like, go there and pray and don't leave until you have that breakthrough. And and again, there's nothing special about the auditorium. It's just that's where I was, and that's where he sent me. You can do it in your house or anywhere. But look, when we're dealing with doubt, we're going to have to pray through sometimes. It's not going to be a quick, Lord, just help me. There's some times we're really going to have to pray, and we're going to have to think on God's Word, and we're going to have to press in and really seek Him so that His Spirit is refreshing us and renewing us and reminding us of all His love and His promises and saying, look, I know you're in a valley, but I'm going to see you through the other side. Don't let this doubt defeat you. Come on, you got to pray to make it today, to overcome. And so this helped me out tremendously. And if we're going to overcome doubt, if we're going to block that punch, we need supportive people, people that will lift us up, and we've got to pray. We've got to pray. Some of us are knocking ourselves out. We're quitting or we're never even getting in the ring because of doubt. We've got to block doubt. We have to block it. We have to have our weapon with us. We have to pray, get supportive people around us, and block out doubt. And so the Israelites did this. They blocked the doubt. They had a Nehemiah in their life to encourage them. They had their weapon. They were ready. And, and now they're on the home stretch. The walls are almost rebuilt. And they faced one last punch. One last knockout blow that they needed to block and we need to block. And the, the third punch we need to block is this. It's distractions. Distractions. Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 1 through 9. It says, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. They're this close. This close. Everything's done except the doors on the gates. And it says, so Sanballat and Gesheb sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. That should have been his sign right there. Oh no. You better not go. Okay. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet you? They are about to finish this this wall. They're about to finish building this city. About to overcome this huge obstacle. And distractions are coming. It says four times... They sent the same message, and each time I gave the same reply. The fifth time, do you see this? It is relentless, a relentless pursuit to stop and hinder them from having this victory and overcoming. The fifth time, Sam Ballad's servant came with an open letter in his hand. And this is what it said. There is a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it is true, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you are building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you, look, there is the king of Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. Threats, lies, distractions. I mean, coming from every angle. I mean, I, I mean... They're just coming from everywhere. And again, Nehemiah, he had to pull a, a big old rope of dope. I mean, he is like, my goodness, but he's blocking all of them. He said, I replied, there is no truth in any part of your story. You are making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. Look, when you start seeing distractions, that's not a sign to stop. That's a sign to press through, to keep moving forward. The finish line is close. You keep marching one step at a time. You got your defense. You got your guard because victory is around the corner. The Bible goes on to say they even hired a false prophet. They tried everything to stop Nehemiah and his people from overcoming to stop the underdogs and so it's the home stretch a multitude of distractions come and they come from many angles and they come from many in many different ways, shapes and forms and we have to bear down we have to push through we have to give it everything we got we got to stay focused and we got to use the same proclamation that Nehemiah made we are engaged in a great work God's work and we won't stop. It's like when you're trying to lose weight and the state fair comes rolling in. You just got to get a fried Snickers. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just once a year, it's just one fried Snickers or some fried butter. Look, that just sounds unholy. You know what I mean? Like, or you're like, you know what? I'll be good. I'll get fried pickles because that's a vegetable and there's less calories no you got to avoid the fair you got to say i'm engaged in a great work god work getting healthy want to be here for a long time and i'm not gonna go i'm not gonna go it's like when you're trying to make changes in your life and you're trying to overcome addictions and all of a sudden these blasts from your past start creeping in and calling you and texting you. And you're like, how'd you even get my number? You know what I mean? Like, come on, let's go. Let's go to the club. Let's do this. Turn up. You know, whatever, whatever they be saying. Oh, my students teach me this stuff. And they're like, come on, we need to go. We need to do this. Remember the good old days back in the day. And you need to be like, No! I'm engaged in a great work, God's work. I'm not going to stop. I cannot go. It's like for some of the fellas, you're coming on Sundays and you just started to engage in worship. Man, you just got your hands lifted, worshiping God, giving it your all. And all of a sudden, Sister Superfly walks in and it's like, hands down, lean to the side. And you got to be like, no, I'm engaged in a great work. I'm not going to look. God's work. I'm going to praise Him and worship Him and give Him my all. It's when you're trying to get a promotion. You're working harder and smarter and you're being a blessing. And all of a sudden you get that one guy to keep sending you those YouTube videos. And they are funny. And you want to watch them. But you gotta say, no, I'm engaged in a great work, I gotta focus. And so you block his emails without him knowing, and you just stay focused on what you're doing. It's like you're getting ready for church on a Sunday, and your baby's walking around in their diaper, and they poop in the diaper. They don't all of a sudden pull off the diaper and then run around the house with the diaper. And poop is everywhere, but you're encouraged because you had patience. I mean, normally you were like, oh, I mean, normally, you know what I mean? You're about to lose it. But this time, you're like, it's okay. People's church got four services. It's all right. God is good all the time. I'm going to clean up this poop because I love the Lord that is mine. And so you're, you're cleaning it up. You get it all cleaned up. And you're like, all right, we can make the 10 o'clock. And so you go, and you go to grab your coffee, fumble. Coffee hits the ground everywhere on you. And you're like, no. I mean, you just start crying. Like, <laughs> Why, God? You know, and and so then you gotta clean up your outfit. You gotta clean up the coffee. You missed the eight thirty. You missed the ten o'clock. We're going to the eleven thirty. Oh, hold up! The Cowboys play at noon. Well, hey, that's the Lord's team, so we'll go to church next week. No. They're not the Lord's team. The Lord's team is right in here worshiping God, giving Him your all. And you got to say, no, I am engaged in a great work. I will go to that 1130 and I'm going to worship God and connect because I need more of Him in my life. When you're an underdog and you're getting closer, distractions, they're going to come. They're going to come in many different ways, shapes, and forms. See, this is one of the enemies. It's one of his sucker punches. It's a sneaky tactic. He will use all means necessary to distract us. The enemy of our souls will not concede victory. Now look, he's been defeated, but he'll try to stop us and defeat us. And we got to stay focused. we got to block the punches. God has paved the way. Block the punches and keep moving forward. There's a lady named Florence May Chadwick. She was an underdog. She tried tried to overcome this this tremendous feat where she wanted to swim from the Catalina Islands to the California coastline. It's a 26 mile swim, okay? Y'all, I don't like driving 26 miles. You know what I mean? I'm like, can we get some Star Trek technology up in here? Beam me over, Scotty. So she's going to swim 26 miles. And so she gets in the water and she's swimming. She's swimming for 15 hours and a dense fog sets in, a distraction. She starts to doubt. She can't see anything. She's ready to quit. She's being encouraged. She's like, okay, I'm going to keep going. She swims for one more hour. She's like, I just can't. She can't see anything. Dense fog. She's like, I can't do it anymore. So she says, pull me into the boat. They pull her into the boat. Shortly after that, they clear the fog. The coastline was only a mile away. It's a mile away. And look, I think this happens to us so often. We're moving forward. God's doing great things, but it is challenging. It's tough. And we're blocking punches, but distractions come. And we're getting so close, but distractions get in the way. And we give up when literally we were another step. We were a mile away. If we could have just seen it, we would have kept going. And I want to encourage you to press through. Don't give up. Give it your all. Look, every step is a step closer, okay? It's a positive thing. It may take some time, but every step is a step closer to be getting over that mountain, through that valley, seeing victory. Now here's what I love about her story is, You know what, she gave up in that moment But she didn't give up as a whole She went back to swim again And go figure, at the same time Another dense fog came over She had to be like, are you kidding me? Another So the fog came in, but this time she pressed through. She made it to the coastline. They're like, how are you able to overcome that distraction, that obstacle? She said, from the last time, I got a picture of the coastline in my mind. And so when the fog came, I pictured and I kept going. Look, some of you, God's given you a vision. He's given you a dream. He's got a promise, a promise of freedom, a promise of joy, a promise of happiness, a promise of a future, of hope. And you just got to keep taking another step. You are closer than you think. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Look, Nehemiah did this. He pictured a rebuilt city, a rebuilt walls, and in Nehemiah 6... Verse 15 through 16, it says, So on October 2nd, that wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. You are an underdog, but you have the help of our God. You are an overcomer. You are more than a conqueror. That victory is waiting for you. You are so close. Don't stop. Push through. Keep moving forward. One Step at a time. Block the punches. Block the ridicule. Block the doubt. Block the, dis- block the distractions. Keep taking another step closer because your victory is right around the corner.